Father, we give you thanks and praise for today. Thank you for this, your word. Uh, we come here recognizing, Father, this is your word at work. And those who believe, working to bring about faith. And we pray that you would help it now bring us into closer to Christ-likeness. Help us uh, have our faith be strengthened, our obedience be strengthened. Help us to repent from sin. Help us to be encouraged toward your will and toward your word and toward your commands. Help us to hear today. Help us have tender hearts about your voice and the things you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what is your complaint and to whom will you take it? In America, we have the Sixth Amendment, the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed. I've always wanted to serve on a jury. I got selected for jury duty a few years ago, and uh, I did not get picked. But I stuck around to see the court case uh, uh, from the back row, and uh, it very much did feel like I was on an episode of Law and Order, just like I hoped that it would. Here was the case in court that day. A man was accused of failing to slow down in the right lane when there was an emergency vehicle on the side of the road. That was the big case. Jurors, a judge, attorneys and their staff, administrative staff, secretaries, a bailiff, the mail system, all employed to hear a complaint for a crime that has a maximum fine of $200. Isn't that great? If you get a ticket for speeding in America, for speeding, you can turn the wheels of the entire American legal system to come hear your case. It's an amazing time and country we live in in history. But that right in America is limited to criminal cases according to American state, local, city laws. Where do you go when you get cancer and you're not sure who to blame? Where do you take your complaint that your loved one has died in a natural disaster? Where do you go when your house has been destroyed and the insurance isn't going to cover it? Who's going to hear that claim and make a judgment? Friends, we ought to consider every complaint in our heart, in, in our mouths, as a formal complaint lodged against God in the courtroom of heaven. Whether it has the weight in your mind and heart of 200 U.S. dollars, or if you feel like it's worth 2 billion U.S. dollars, it doesn't matter. God is the final high court. Ultimately, every complaint, every complaint about the providence of our lives, what people do to us, what happens to us in nature, it's all in God's world. It's all in God's jurisdiction as a judge. And Job knows this. So this is what Job's doing. Job's taking his complaint to God. 
From the very beginning, Job has been saying in his discussion with his friends about his suffering and who's really in the wrong here, either his friends or him or God, Job has been saying that he wants to hear from God. He wants this court case to go to God himself. Back in chapter 13, verse 3, Job says, But I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to argue my case with God. Job 23, verse 2 through 4, he says, Today also my complaint is bitter, my hand is heavy on account of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, God that is, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. What complaint do you have? Where will you take it? There's really nowhere to take our complaints and disputes on earth or in heaven, ultimately, but to God. God's the final word. I mean, what if Ukraine loses some of their cases in the International Criminal Court? This is really one of the main applications of the entire book of Job. Structurally, in the book of Job, no one on earth hears from God until the very end kind of telling us God is the final word. You can pontificate, you can philosophize, you can argue, you can talk, you can discuss and read and bring evidence and God is and will have the final word. Job and his friends have taken up the majority of the book, arguing round and round like attorneys with witnesses and evidence and more. But then at the end of the book, no more friends talking. Job has made his final case. God speaks. God speaks. Do you have a complaint? Something that's making you angry. Something that you feel isn't fair. What is it? I want you to think about it. I had to think about some things myself this week. and Write them down. What is it? Something in your church, in your family, in your money, in your job, in your children, in nature, in providence, in possessions, in any people. Friends, what is your complaint? I want to encourage you to take that complaint through every earthly court and take it all the way to God. Take it all the way to God. Job is getting his answer from God in chapters 38 through the rest of the book. And in our chapters today, Job 38 through 40, verse 5, this is a summary. God answers from the storm and contends with Job. Contending meaning engaging him in litigation, you could say, an argument. Contends with Job that Job is the one who lacks the knowledge of God's wisdom and power. And we'll see that in the text today and some applications for us in Job's life and from the New Testament. See first that when God comes to answer, God answers from the storm. Job 38 verse 1. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, what does this mean? This is telling us who it is that has arrived. When attorneys or judges show up to a court, if you were outside watching them show up, 
you might be able to tell a few things about what kind of power of attorney they are. Someone shows up in a 25-year-old car and a suit that doesn't fit. You might rightly assume they haven't won too many cases, at least not yet. Someone shows up in three or four Escalades and a Mercedes-Benz and a team full of well-fitted suit-wearing attorneys. You might well assume they've probably been here before. Probably won a few cases. God rolls up in a storm. Your translation in your Bible might say the word tempest. It's most associated, this word, with the wind of a, of a storm that throws and tosses and raises water. The picture being painted here is that before Job begins to hear anything from God's mouth, leaves start rustling, the trees start swaying, the temperature changes, the pressure changes, the sky changes colors, and before long there is a wind blowing that threatens Job's ability to stand. And John Hartley explains it well, those who would behold such a display are filled with dread and wonder. The awe strikes the beholder dumb. Each worshiper drawn out of his self-centered existence as by a powerful magnet bows reverently before his God. God hasn't even said anything yet. He showed up in the whirlwind, spoke out of the storm. Before Job hears God's words, he has met with God's presence. God does not dwell passively. When people see the Lord, or the Lord dwells with His people, what comes with Him? Very often smoke, fire, wind, earthquakes, and more. Why? Because that is associated, those elements in the world are associated with the kind of power that God has. Moses' interactions with God, Moses saw Him first as the fire and the burning bush. The mountain was shaking. It was filled with smoke and fire. When the tabernacle is built and when the temple is built, it is filled with smoke and cloud and thick darkness. And the prophets, before they prophesy to God's people, the major prophets especially, they see a vision of the Lord. Ezekiel sees the Lord this way, As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. Isaiah sees the Lord in His throne this way, Isaiah 6, 4, And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Psalm 97 praises the Lord this way, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around Him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. Fire goes before Him and burns up His adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world and the earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. And when John sees the throne in Revelation 5, 4, it says, From the throne of God came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. The most terrifying, destructive, and powerful elements in creation are like God's business card. He does not need anyone to say in the courtroom, Rise, Honorable Yahweh has arrived. He just shows up. 
Now, what was your complaint? Bring it to mind. Just keep it in mind. It's beginning to feel different at all. God has not even spoken to Job. He's just arrived. Now, God speaks and contends with Job. God contends first that Job lacks knowledge. Chapter 38, verse 2. Who is this that darkens counsel, my counsel, by words without knowledge? God expresses first the problem. With Job and his friends, we'll see. They've argued without knowledge. They know what has happened to Job. His suffering, but they do not know what God is doing in the world. The knowledge is not just about facts of the case that you argue without knowledge. They know what happened. It's not as if they didn't have evidence, as if they they didn't have the, the facts. This knowledge that they lack is about what's actually going on, what God is actually doing in the world. He's been making complaints, arguing with his friends. He doesn't have any However, discernment or understanding. He doesn't know what's actually going on. He doesn't see up into heaven. God is making a point with his first question. The point is, you don't know. There's a realm of reality, a spiritual, invisible realm, where God rules from his throne. And it is that reality... Namely, the invisible reality of God Himself, which is the primary facilitator for reality and what we can see. What's your complaint? Does the knowledge of your complaint end what you know about your complaint? Does it only go so far as earth's atmosphere and stay underneath it? When it comes to your complaint, What do you know about God from the invisible realm? What is the spiritual reality in your complaint? Maybe your complaint is about spiritual things. It's about God and what He's doing and why God has caused this suffering, why God has allowed this. Why God is your complaint? But based on what knowledge? Based on knowledge from God's mouth? Based on knowledge in God's Word? Based on the leading of the Holy Spirit? Based on what knowledge? Who is this that darkens my counsel without knowledge? Like a rookie attorney in his first case. I want us to be careful. I don't think that God is just here to say that Job is dumb and just making fun of Job. And God's just calling Job stupid. Much has been discussed about God's tone in his response to Job. Is God condescending? Is he mocking Job with all of these rhetorical questions? I don't think so. God is serious. God is firm, glorious, and holy. But he's not so petty as to just mock Job. Charles Spurgeon was a man with many griefs and sufferings. Here's what he said about suffering and about God's 
tone. Some of you may be in great distress of mind, a distress of which no fellow creature can deliver you. You are poor, nervous people at whom others often laugh. Spurgeon says, I can assure you that God will not laugh at you. He knows all about that sad complaint of yours. So I urge you to go to him, for the experience of many has taught us that the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. The book of Job is not teaching us not to cry out to God, not to bother him with our problems and our complaints, not to bring anything that matters to us to him. Job is teaching us about reverently respecting and trusting God. And in this passage, God is not mocking or scolding Job, but he is instructing him. There is a holy complexity in God's response of tenderness coupled with resolve. God's sovereignty, yet his patient relatability. His transcendence, that he is above and far beyond us in all creation. And yet he's very present to speak with Job. God could have just been done with Job. I mean, we go back to Job's chapter, Job 1 and 2. God could have been done with Job a long time ago. But he's contending with him, teaching him, so that we can be taught as well, even if it's uncomfortable for us at first. So here's how God prepares Job, verse 3. Job, dress for action like a man. Get your gear on, gird your loins, get your shield, whatever you need. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I'm going to ask you some questions, and I want you to answer them, Job. These are not questions that are meant to really make you wonder. <laughs> hmm, I wonder what the answer is. God, let me, let me get back to you and think about that for a while. These are definitely corrective questions. These are actually questions intended to reveal about Job. Not questions that God has been wondering and hope, God, hope Job can enlighten him. In his questions toward Job, God has two main subjects. His wisdom and his power. Two main subjects in God's line of questioning to Job. God's wisdom and God's power. First, the knowledge of God's wisdom. See how God's wisdom and understanding is one of the main points that he's making to Job. The first question which refers to God's creating the whole world. Look in chapter 38 verse 4. Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And then in verses 5 through 17, God walks through the measurements of the earth, the stars, the seas, the clouds, the morning, and the days. God wants Job to look around. In short, God is saying, look at the world, Job, and who decided to put it together like this? And see how the section ends with what we call an inclusio in Bible study. It ends the same way that it began. Verse 18, have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Do you understand 
the creation of the world. Where were you when it began? See this in several places in the arguments, picking up in chapter 38, verse 19. Job, here's a question for you. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And where is the place of darkness that you may take to its territory? And that you may discern, that you may know or judge the paths to its home? You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Well, I have to be really careful with this because I love a good sarcastic comment. It could be misplaced. Clearly, God is being rhetorically sarcastic. You know you were born then when the darkness and the light was separated and the number of your days is great. Job should be thinking what we're all thinking. Actually, I wasn't there. I don't know. Chapter 38, verse 36. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? How did the people and creation and animals and birds, how how did anyone get wisdom and understanding of any kind? In verse 37, who can number the clouds by wisdom? Tried to count the clouds lately. Verse 39 through 13 through 18. One of the more humorous. The wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but are are they the pinions of plumage of love? I don't know. She leaves her eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them and that the wild beast may trample them. She deals cruelly with her young as if they were not hers. Though her labor be in vain, yet she has no fear. Because God has made her forget wisdom and given her no share in understanding. When she rouses herself to flee, she laughs at the horse and his rider. The ostrich is big and strong and fast. And when the horse takes off, the ostrich laughs and says, let's go race. But she's dumb. She just leaves leaves her eggs laying around on the ground. And God's basically saying, who put that ratio of strength and wisdom together? Why is the world like that? Why are ostriches like that? Well, who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? The Lord. Why is the ostrich the way she is? God made her that way. Verse 26. Is it by your understanding the hawk soars and spreads his wings toward the earth? Friends, as you bring your complaint to the Lord, come all the way to him looking around the earth that He has created. Do you have the wisdom that God has to create and sustain the world? How far does your understanding go? Not much farther than the ostrich. God's revealing that underneath every complaint is ultimately a complaint about God's wisdom. And God says to Job, I've limited severely limited the understanding and wisdom that an ostrich has. Faster than a horse, dumb as a rock. Why does she understand the way she understands or doesn't understand what she doesn't understand? And do you, being a creature yourself, think you have full understanding and wisdom? You have some ratio of power. You have some ratio of understanding. What is it? How far does it go? What do you know, Job? Look around creation, Job, and tell me what you know. 
Job also lacks knowledge of God's power. Job and his friends lack knowledge of God's power. God consistently asks in his line of questioning to Job, do you know, do you know, do you have understanding? But then he asks, can you, can you, can you, can you? Throughout the arguments. Look at chapter 38, verse 31 as an example. Begin there. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Verse 32. Can you lead forth the Meseroth in their season or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Like, do you have the manual, the instruction booklet, the blueprints for, for the cosmos? Can you establish their rule on the earth? Go down to verse 34. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters might cover you? Can, can you make it rain on yourself? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are. Verse 39. Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? Can you go hunting like a lion? When they crouch in their dens, lie and wait in their thicket. Verse, chapter 39, look at verse 2. Can you number the months that they fulfill? And do you know the time when they give birth? Verse 9. Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will he spend the night at your manger? Can you bind him in the furrow with ropes? Or will he harrow the valleys after you? Verse 19, chapter 39. Verse 19. Do you give the horse his might do you clothe his neck with a mane how does your complaint line up with your ability and God's power notice the intentional span of God's power from high to low the Pleiades cluster of stars is one of the brightest star clusters in the sky To the Japanese, it's called Subaru. To the Chinese, it's called Mao. Here is some information Job could have not known about Pleiades that that we know, this cluster of stars. This cluster starts of, it contains some 3,000 stars, and it is 444 light years from the earth. I started doing some math to try to figure out exactly how far or long that is, and I just quit. I mean, I even Googled it. That's, that's how bad I am. The distance from the side, one side of the cluster to the other side of the Pleiades star cluster, from one side to the other of the clusters itself, is 17.5 light years. That's what God's talking about. And this little cluster of stars are among just the closest to the earth. And God says to Job, can you get your chains together and throw them around the Pleiades cluster of stars and just pull them on in? It's a revealing question. The answer is no. Likewise, Orion is a constellation in ancient cultures depicted often as a god or as a hunter. Notice that God takes basically the same line of questioning all the way from the clusters of star 444 light years away and brings them down to the ox over there in the field. Can you rope the wild ox, Job? No, 
I can't even do that, God. Did God give you the strength to give to the horse? No. No, I don't give the strength his horse, the horse his strength. God is saying, look at creation, Job, from the stars to the ground. What's your power? What's your control? What can you do? Friends, does your complaint take into consideration God is more powerful than you can possibly imagine? The implication here is that God answers all of these questions, yes. Yes, I do do all of these things. Yes, I did put those stars there. Yes, I do lasso them if I want to and move them. Yes, I do tell the wild ox where to go and lead him in my will. Have you come to realize how limited your power is on this one little planet called Earth? What this means for us, God's questions are revealing what's wrong with Job and his friends. Why they're so upset. Job maintains his righteousness. He maintains that God has done this, but he doesn't understand. He's confused about the fairness of what God is doing. When one begins to complain that what God has done or has happened is unfair, God will reveal Himself. It is His revealing that brings into question, or excuse me, it's our complaining that ultimately brings into question God's wisdom and power. That's what our complaining is. That's what we're saying things are unfair is. God is revealing that about Job's complaint. You bring your complaint that suffering is unfair, that someone is unjust, Job is a sinner, or, or God is unfair. But God is revealing that underneath all of those complaints that you're lodging up against God is really just an admission that you don't think or you don't know that God is wise and that He is powerful. That God has understanding and that He is sovereign. Really, these complaints God is revealing is that God is stupid and weak. Friends, have you thought about this? That potentially underneath your complaint and underneath what you would lodge against God really is just the belief that God is stupid, He's not wise, that He's weak, He's not in control, He can't do something better. Imagine every complaint that things are not the way that they are supposed to be. Every complaint in your life that things are not the way they are supposed to be. He wasn't supposed to get cancer. She wasn't supposed to be in that accident. It wasn't supposed to be like this. It's not fair. God's revealing. It's like saying to Him, God, you should have organized the stars differently. The ostrich should have been different. The hawk should have been different. The way that hawk just soars up there and swoops down and gets its food, that is so stupid. Why have you ordered the world like this? I would have done it very differently. Consider every complaint as a legal action against God in court. Imagine your complaint being announced before the angels and God in heaven. 
God now from Texas. This is Bubba. He thinks it's really not fair that he's a really good person, but his truck keeps breaking down. God, Jennifer is here with a complaint. She's been studying really, really hard, but she didn't get the scholarship. God, the entirety of America is saying it's not fair. This is a Christian nation. What will we say? I remember what kind of events this includes for Job. Job is not just feeling like he's a victim. Job is not just feeling and interpreting his life incorrectly. Job is suffering. He's not just you know, actually just wealthy and comfortable and just kind of complaining. Job is suffering. Bad guys came and destroyed things and stole things. Fire came down from heaven. Wind blew his house down. Randomly seeming to him, his entire health was taken away from him right up to the point of death. In modern times, we might think of this as a gross injustice among men. A hurricane, tornado, cancer, injustice from wicked men. Where does all this come from? It's not yet saying in the book of Job actually what God is doing about these things. It's not even saying why God is doing these things. This is actually a really important lesson in the book of Job. The book of Job, when God speaks, He never tells Job why He's doing anything. Never once. I don't know what you think about that. If you find that really comforting or really, really frustrating. He doesn't say why. He just asks Job some questions. Well, do you have this kind of wisdom, Job? No. Do you have this kind of power, Job? No, I don't. Well, I guess I'll be God and you be man. God is saying, look around the creation from the stars to the ground. What do you understand? What do you control? God's wisdom and power is how the world is ordered and holds together. And how it works through time is God's orchestration. God's wisdom and power is how the world is ordered and holds together. And how this world works develops through time is God's orchestration. Three applications for us this morning. I'm not going to really expound on these or illustrate these at great length. These are not all necessarily, these three applications are not necessarily things to do Tuesday or do Thursday. These are bigger. This is a big moment in Job. Job is not just giving us things to do. He's teaching us how to look at the world. The book of Job is teaching us how to look at the world. I don't know about you guys. I'm really excited for the book of Acts in January. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Job has been really good. I will be glad when it is over a little bit. I'm not going to lie. But don't miss. Don't miss putting these themes 
deep down into your heart and mind. These applications are not just applications for what to do Wednesday or how to relate to your neighbor tomorrow or how to have a better marriage today or how to talk to your kids or how to go talk to your... It's a how to see the world application. That's application for how to think about your life for however many days or decades the Lord may give you. Application number one. Put your faith in Christ. The power and wisdom of God. Put your faith in Christ, the power and wisdom of God. Christ is the power and wisdom of God. Jesus Christ is Himself the great expression of the wisdom and power of God on the earth. Jesus is. You want to find God's power. You want to see God's wisdom at work in the world. Look to Jesus Christ. Job is amazingly helpful in helping us interpret the world. But it is still somewhat incomplete. Christ is the center of everything God has done and will do in time and eternity. Paul says it like this in Colossians, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's in Christ. All all the treasures of all the wisdom in the world are hidden in Christ. You want to get understanding into what God is doing in the world? You want to know how the world and all of its suffering and injustices make sense? God's not hiding Himself. God's not up here going, I'm just not going to tell you anything. Just do your best. He's showing us Himself in wisdom and power in Christ. Look as high as the cosmos. Look as low as the creature. But if you want to make the most sense of God's wisdom and power, look at Christ on the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, which was read for us this morning, verse 22 to 24. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom generally speaking. But Paul says, here's what we preach. Here is the Gospel. Here's what we're saying about Jesus. We preach Christ was crucified. And and that is a stumbling block to Jews. They don't recognize its power. And it's a stumbling block to Gentiles because to them it's foolishness. It's unwise. It makes no sense. But to those who are called, those who know God, who have the Spirit of God, and have come to faith in Jesus Christ, whether you're a Jew or a Greek, Christ the power. He is the power of God and the wisdom of God put together. God's wise ordering and working of the world is chiefly by, through, for, and in Jesus Christ. Christ. You want to see God's great power at work in the world and what God's great power is ultimately doing for you in your life. Look to Jesus risen from the grave. That's power. Look to those who are Christians and have been born from the dead by the Spirit of God who were once dead and who are now living. That's God's power. You want to see God's wisdom in the world? You want to make the world make sense? What's God doing centrally in the world from beginning to the end of time? Look to the cross of Jesus Christ. God sent His only Son to the earth as a man 
perfect, holy, righteous, blameless, to die for the sins of sinful, rebellious men. That's God's wisdom. It doesn't make any sense. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. Faith in Jesus Christ is actually helping us flip the narrative of how we understand the world around us. Instead of saying, God seems so unwise and so weak if He were to let this happen to me. If that's kind of the ethos or the pathos, the way that we're thinking and feeling about our life, instead of saying that, we ought to be saying, wow, I, I have sinned against God and I deserve His justice. I deserve whatever He says to me when the gavel hits the bench. But somehow, in God's wisdom, Somehow, in God's power, He sent Christ to die for my sins on a cross at the hand of the Romans, the the enemies of the Jews, and then He raised Him from the dead that I might be forgiven from my sin and that I might too walk in newness of life forever with Him. That doesn't make any sense. But that's God's wisdom. That's the center of God's power, what He's doing in the world. Redeeming sinners. Redeeming us, redeeming us from our complaints. Redeeming us from our faithlessness. Redeeming us from our sin. Consider that God knew in His heart when He spoke to Job that He was going to lose a son, so to speak, like Job did. God knew that it would look like the greatest injustice in the world was happening to some The disciples didn't understand at first. Why would God give us the Messiah and then he dies? What good is a king getting killed? You have Jesus' disciples saying, it wasn't supposed to be like this. But that's the gospel. Jesus on the cross for our sins is the wisdom and power of God. If you want to get more understanding about what God is doing in the world, If you want to understand how God's power is now working in the world, look to Christ, believe in Him. Actually, Jesus, who is the key to the suffering in the world, making sense. Application number two. Put your hand over your complaining. Put your faith in Christ and put your hand over your complaining. Look at how Job responds as an example for us in chapter 42, verses 3 through 5. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? In other words, case closed. Let the jury go out. We're done. I lay my hand on my mouth. Job's been talking a lot. Job's friends have been talking a lot. But now when God speaks, helps him understand wisdom and power, Job says, I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. Job rightly retracts his complaint from the courtroom. Friends, sometimes the most holy thing that you can do as a man before the wise and powerful God is put your hand on your mouth. Do what Job has done. 
take account. Add it up. Add up all of God's wisdom and all of God's power. Go, go for a walk and consider how the world got structured the way that it is structured. Consider its foundations. Study the observations of the James Webb Telescope and their measurements that they're finding. What a gift to be alive to see farther in space than Job. Go out at night and just stare at the moon. Go out into a field with permission, someone's permission, and just try to push over a cow. Just try. Just go find an ox-like creature and just try to do anything with it. Go ride a horse and feel the horse's muscles underneath you as it charges across the earth and just recognize, I could not make this. Let God's question ring in your ears. Can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Did you give the horse its strength? Friends, what's your complaint? Is it dead yet? Is it dead? Don't let your life be filled with complaining. Look through the cosmos and all God's creatures realize what God is doing. He's working in His wisdom. And He's working in a power that is way beyond you. Here's something that you need to know. Something that will help us put our hands over our mouths. God never tells Job why. God tells Job why he allowed what he allowed in Job's life. doesn't tell him that. He just very simply says, see my wisdom and see my power at this point. Friends, do your conversations sound like you think God is all-wise and all-powerful? Or do you sound like you think God is a TV judge and you want to try to get $1,500 out of Him to replace the carpet from someone dropping a candle? Christians and church members help each other with this. You hear each other complaining and bickering and moaning? Ask each other, how would that complaint hold up in court? Take all your complaints to God. Learn His wisdom and power. Finally, fear God, keep His commandments. Fear God and keep His commandments. This was the ultimate conclusion of wisdom back in chapter 28. What can we do? I mean, we're going through life and all of a sudden bad guys are taking our stuff. Hurricane displaces us. Our house catches on fire. We lose our children. What do we do? And that's what happened to Job. What does not complaining look like? The New Testament gives us a lot of commands that once someone has put their faith in Christ as the power and wisdom of God, they act differently. When someone wrongs you, you don't turn into a complaint against God's unfairness or His unruly cosmic plan. You forgive as you've been forgiven, Colossians 3. There's a whole host of commands in Ephesians chapter 4, for example. Verse 31 and 32, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and the slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Why? Why, why do that? Why act like that to other people? Even if you are in great suffering and loss. That's because that's what God has done for us. God in His wisdom and power is ordering the world and orchestrating the world. Let it go. Teenagers and children, think about this. When you leave the house, you're not going to go into a world that is all your own world. It's going to be really unfair out there. Don't have overly romantic visions of you get a job, you get a Christian spouse, you get a house, and you get this, and you get this, and you get all these things in order. 
suffering is going to come. You're going out into God's world. God is the strength and the wisdom out there. What can you do? Look to Christ. Trust Christ as the power of wisdom of God. Put yourself in the center of God's character and His commands and let God decide what's going to happen. Pay your taxes. Go to work. Work hard. Come home. Be forgiving. Use words of graciousness. What's going to happen to you? Sometimes doing the most righteous thing will be the most costly thing. Let that be up to God. His wisdom. His power. Maybe you're starting to look at retirement or your past retirement and you thought it would be maybe it'd be a little bit better than this. You thought you earned more than this. But did you? Did you feed the ravens on the highest cliffs? Oh, how often God loves to see His saints suffer, but gloriously and wonderfully trust Him, seeking first the kingdom of God rather than the things on the earth. Have this command in mind. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all the things that you need will be added to you. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the days it's trouble, Jesus said. That's it. That's what you can do. What happens when you trust God and keep His commandments? Maybe more suffering and maybe more tragedy will come, like Job, who was a blameless man, righteous. Maybe your righteousness will be the means of God bringing more suffering to you by unrighteous men in the earth. What can you do? Put your faith in Christ. Put your hand over your complaining mouth. Fear God. Keep His commandments. That's it. That's what you can do. Should nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive. Isn't that what we sang about our lives and our efforts? Let us stay where Job started. Job 1.21 Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. Let us praise God. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, your undeserved blessing to us in Christ. We give you thanks and praise. I ask that you would help us. We ask that you would help us to see you as you are in all of your wisdom and all of your power. Help us take our complaints this week and bring them all the way to you. And help us to see your wisdom and your power. Trust that your plan is good. Trust that you are doing what you think is wise. I encourage you to just take a moment, prayerfully reflect on what we've heard from God's word the next few moments in prayer.